Well, it's great to be with you all this afternoon. Let us pray. I heard this so much. It was great to see your heads bow, by the way. I heard this so much when I was in school, sitting there cross-legged on the floor through year seven to nine, progressing to the bench, and then finally the long-awaited chair in year 11. The room full of girls would fall silent, the heads would bow, just as yours did just now. And then we would all recite together, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. The words tripped off the tongue so easily, so silkily like a lullaby. There was a great comfort in their familiarity. But looking back, I can honestly say that it's unlikely that many of us actually understood what we were saying or gave a second thought to the significance of the words. And yet these are the words that Jesus taught his disciples when he was teaching them how to pray. This morning, we are going to be looking at your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Today I'm feeling particularly nostalgic and keep looking back at my school years with quite a bit of fondness. I remember being fascinated with the history of this country, in particular, King Henry VIII. It wasn't just his six wives and their sometimes unfortunate ends that was interesting to me, but also the enormous effort that he went into establishing and maintaining his kingdom. It goes back to before him ascending the throne. The War of the Roses had two branches of the same family battling out for supremacy. Lies, betrayal, murder, thousands were killed in battles before it was all settled, a winner declared, and stability for the country gained by a white rose marrying a red rose and giving birth to the Tudor dynasty. Now, Henry VIII was the second monarch of this new Tudor family, and his reign is remembered not only by his obsession with creating a male heir, which was the main reason for his multiple marriages, but also for the split of the Catholic Church and the legal union of England and Wales, two things which have greatly shaped the United Kingdom and arguably the world today. Now, if we look at Henry VIII's kingdom as an example of what God's kingdom is like, it could be a bit concerning that this king of heaven could be selfish, mean, spiteful, prideful, and insecure. But here I have good news for you. Our king of heaven is nothing like King Henry VIII and also nothing like Queen Elizabeth today. And we have many reasons to be grateful for that. So what is this kingdom of heaven? I hear you ask, though the lips in the room are still. Let us take a step back. When Jesus came, he wasn't the Messiah that people were expecting, because when he came, he didn't overthrow the Roman powers and reestablish David's earthly kingdom. But what he did come to do was to obey his father's will, and he came to serve. This would have been very challenging for his disciples and all the other followers at the time, and we can see this by the amount of times that Jesus said, gave parables about the kingdom of heaven and explained what the kingdom was. It is through these parables that we get truth about the kingdom of heaven. These truths would have encouraged the disciples at the time, and these truths continue to give us hope today because they explain what the kingdom of heaven is. They explain the Father's royal rule. 
From these parables and other things that Jesus said about the kingdom of heaven, theologians have identified four different parts of the kingdom of God, and they together demonstrate this very interesting thing. Let's go through some of those. Number one, the return of Christ. In Matthew chapter 25, verse 1 to 13, we have the parable of the ten virgins, which was so wonderfully demonstrated to us earlier. As a recap, you have five wise, five foolish virgins. The five wise come when they're waiting for the bridegroom with their oil and their lamp. The five foolish just come with their lamp. In the long waiting for the bridegroom to arrive, they fall asleep. And then suddenly, around midnight, there's a loud noise saying, the bridegroom has come, the bridegroom has come. And at that point, they will wake up. The five wise virgins fill their oils with lamp and go into the wedding feast. The five foolish have to scamper off to the shop, buy some oil, and come back. But when they return, they're not let in. At the end of this parable, Jesus says to his disciples, keep watch, keep ready, because you don't know the hour I'm going to return. But one thing that we do know, we know that at the end of time as we know it, Jesus is going to return. And at his return, he's going to be this victorious king sitting on a white horse. He's going to be king of kings and lord of lords, defeating the enemy. So as we pray, Lord, let your kingdom come, we are saying, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Number two, becoming a disciple of Christ. In Mark 4, verse 26, Jesus explained that the kingdom of God is like a man who sowed seed in a field. The seed would would be planted, it would take root, and it would grow. Firstly, a little shoot, then a little part of the the bud, which would grow into a big piece of corn, and then at the harvest time, it would be plucked. When the seed of the gospel takes takes root in our hearts, we accept Christ as our Lord and Savior and follow him. And as we grow in him, we will begin to bear fruit for God. The kingdom of God is in our hearts. As we pray, let your kingdom come, we are saying, Lord, help us to become more like you as we prepare to live with you in eternity in heaven. Three, the organized church. In Matthew chapter 13, verse 31, Jesus describes the kingdom of heaven as a mustard seed. Although it was the smallest seed known at that time, it would grow into this huge tree where the birds would come and gather. We look at the kingdom and we see how it started with Jesus and a handful of disciples and how it has grown beyond every expectation to the millions of people who are on this earth today declaring that Lord Jesus is their Lord and Savior. It has grown beyond every imagination. We, the body of believers on this earth, are the representation of God's kingdom on earth. As we pray, Lord, let your kingdom come, we are saying, Lord, protect and grow your church that it may continue to spread the gospel so that more people may come to know Jesus. And four, the culture of God. In Matthew chapter 25, verse 34, Jesus describes what will happen at final judgment. To some people, as he was welcoming them into heaven, he is going to say, for I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Through this, we get to see the principles and characteristics that are important to God, and that we should try to have evident here on this earth, 
The culture of heaven should be here, the culture on earth. And the things that are important include peace, justice, righteousness, healing, deliverance, equality, and unity. So as we're praying, Lord, let your kingdom come, we are saying, God, let your rule and the fruit of it be more evident here on this earth. The kingdom of God is unlike our culture, and so we need to let go of a lot of the things that we hold dear. We need to stop relying on riches. We need to stop thinking that our own earthly logic is going to solve all of our problems. We need to stop loving ourselves before everybody else. It's when we do those things that we will allow the principles of God's kingdom to become evident in us and evident in the world. And it's then that we'll begin to see that just as Jesus said, that the kingdom of God is truly precious and beautiful. By praying, let your kingdom come, we are looking beyond ourselves and our own way of doing things and looking out to our world and asking that God's rule becomes evident. We do not have the solution. So we are looking to God who knows all and has a solution. We are asking that his way of doing things supplants the dominant culture of man. We are asking that hearts be turned to him. We are asking that the people of God surpass denominational walls and doctrinal differences to come together and lift up the name of Jesus so that people can know and see him. The second part of the phrase says, your will be done. At first glance, it can seem that this will of God is entirely separate to the kingdom of God. But when you think of a king in an absolute monarchy, say, for example, in Saudi Arabia, you can see that their will is done by the very fact that they reign as king. The king reigns and the king rules. His word is law, and everybody, every single person in that kingdom will obey his law. This contrasts with the watered-down constitutional monarchy we have here in the United Kingdom. Our Queen Elizabeth, she sits on the throne. She is the queen and she reigns, but she does not rule. We have a government that does that. Now, whatever you think of them, they do rule. But let me just remind you, we do need to pray for them. (laughs) The idea of a king reigning and being the supreme ruler could be concerning if we had an unloving God. But when we know who God is for ourselves and understand his nature, this brings nothing but joy and thanksgiving with the prospect of a ruling God. We serve a God who loves us completely. His very nature is of love for us, and this is demonstrated in him being good and wanting what is good for us. How much more could he show his desire for good for us and his love for us than by sending his only son to die to reconcile us with him? Now, we are instructed to pray in accordance with his will, but it's only through knowing God that we can understand his will. And how do we know him? Through relationship. This relationship will lead us to read the Bible. And by knowing the word, God's character is revealed to us, and we will begin to understand what pleases him and what his principles are. For example, now I need a, like, participation. I've got a question for you. Who thinks this is a good prayer? Oh, my dear Lord and my dear Heavenly Father, thank you for saving me. Oh, Lord, I have needs. I can't pay my bills. So, Lord, as I place my bet on long legs and he's going to run that race, make him run fast, Lord, and help him to win, Lord, so I can use the winnings, Lord, to pay my bills. Thank you, Lord, for long legs. Thank you for him so much. Amen. 
indeed. There's something wrong with that prayer. The reason why there's something wrong with that is there's something wrong with the heart behind it. The heart behind it is looking to long legs as the, as the provision. Instead, I should be looking to God. God who is called Jehovah Jireh, as, which means the Lord will provide, because he is going to provide my needs. He is more than sufficient for my needs. So I need to be looking to God and not to long legs for the provision. As we pray, remember that God hears our prayers and he will answer. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. When reading the prayer, it's quite easy to think that the line, on earth as it is in heaven, only applies to the will of God. But after seeing what the kingdom of God is, and how in his kingdom God is the ultimate ruler and king, we begin to realize that it applies to both the kingdom and the will of God. In heaven, God is the supreme king. He is seated on his throne, and at his right hand, at his right hand, his son Jesus is there. There is perfect peace, no sadness, no pain, and there is no conflict as the angels do his perfect will. Now let's contrast that with our lives. Let's contrast this with this earth. It doesn't quite match up, does it? Because our free will can hinder the will of God. Because we can so easily choose to do something, and we can choose not to do something. But by praying on earth as it is in heaven, we are asking, Lord, just as in heaven, where your kingdom, your rule, and your will are absolute, with no rival and no distraction, let it be here on earth. It is also a cry of help to say, I know I can mess up, but strengthen me, Lord, and help me to make the right choices. It is a declaration that I will not just be a Christian in name, but I will be a Christian in nature, seeking to be like Christ in all that I do. We need to seek to be like Christ in all that we do. And what an example Christ gives us. In Matthew chapter 26, we see Jesus coming before his father in the Garden of Gethsemane just before his trial and his execution. In verse 39, we see, And going a little further, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, My father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. In verse 42, Again, for the second time, he went away and prayed, My father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. In verse 44, So leaving them again, he went away and prayed for the third time, saying the same words again. Then he came to the disciples and said to them, Sleep and take your rest later, and take your rest later on. See, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. In this beautifully intimate exchange, we see that Jesus is real with his father about the way he's feeling. He really doesn't want to do this. But he tells his father his pain and the fact he just doesn't want to do this. But every time he says, your will, not mine. He repeats this three times. So God understands what his son is feeling. But after all of this conversation, we see Jesus making the choice to walk into the will of his father and begin the steps that would ultimately take him to Calvary. I don't know about you, 
But I am eternally, eternally grateful that Jesus didn't just say those words, not my will, but yours, but that he meant them. That he left that place knowing what it was going to cost him to do his father's will, but that he did it anyway. That he went on to endure a criminal's death upon a cross, took on all of my sins, and endured a separation from his father because of that sin. What an awesome savior. What a sacrifice. What an example. This ultimate step of obedience to the Father's will wasn't done because Jesus felt like it. It came from an intense relationship with his Father. One where where Jesus knew his Father's heart and where Jesus was willing to do his Father's will because he was confident that his Father knew what was best. It is that close relationship that led to Jesus obeying the will of God and instead of fleeing fleeing Jerusalem to save his own skin. And it is this relationship and obedience to the Father that Jesus showed us that we should strive for every day. Relationship and obedience will change your prayers. Understanding what God's kingdom is and what his will is will begin to change the way that you pray. It will bring us closer to our ultimate example of Christ. Prayer is essential in our relationship with God because it allows us to communicate with our Father. It is a privilege and a necessity. Throughout the Gospels, we see time and time again how Jesus took himself away. He left his disciples and he went up the mountain and he spent time with his father by himself. And this is something that we need to do. We need to dedicate time in our days to read his word, to speak to him, to worship him, and listen to his voice. Time is an important part of any relationship and we need to make time to spend with our father. I like to do this at the beginning of my day read a bit of the Bible and pray, present my day and all that it holds before God. Remember, it is important not to beat yourself up if you don't manage to do this every day because there is no condemnation in Christ. Just pick right back up and come to your father because he wants to hear from you, his child. Always pray. He is always hearing you. We can see that while on earth, Jesus prayed in the confidence that his father would hear his son and answer One of the miracles of prayer is that we can also be in that position. We can approach our Father in confidence, but this confidence has nothing to do with what you or I have done, and it has everything to do with what Jesus has done. The truth is that when we accept Jesus as our Lord and our Savior, and we decide to live for him, we become adopted sons of of the Father, and we become joint heirs with Jesus. And by this and the undeserved favor of God, we, like Jesus, can experience that confidence and certainty that our Father will hear us every time we pray. So, I've got a couple of points for you when you pray. One, pray and trust in him. It says in Matthew 6, verse 25 to 27, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about the body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? Pray and trust in him. Speak to your Father and tell him what it is that you need and what it is that you desire. But most importantly, Lord, let your will be done because you know best. This can only come out of relationship. 
It's the situation where you know that God wants what is best for you and that he loves you completely. With this knowledge, you can trust that as you pray, that God not only hears you, but that he desires what is good for you because he loves you. Two, pray and hope in him. It says in Romans 8, 28, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Pray and hope in him. As you pray, pray in confidence that he can and that he will do it. Do not allow the all-knowing nature of God prevent you from praying, because it's easy to believe that, as God knows the beginning and the end of everything, anything that's supposed to happen is going to happen anyway. But this fatalistic way of thinking could potentially stop you from praying. But it says in James chapter 4, verse 2, that we do not receive because we do not ask. Have faith that God hears you and a confident hope that he will do it as you pray that his rule and reign become evident in your lives and here on this earth. Three, pray and wait on him. But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Isaiah 40, 31. How I love this verse and how real it is to me. This amazing gift of prayer takes the influence of Jesus from the physical to the spiritual, where the work is done and the battle is won before we see it with our own eyes. Sometimes this happens immediately. Take, for example, Exodus chapter 17, where we see Moses, the Israelites, and the Amalekites. At this time, Israel is having this big battle with the Amalekites, and Moses is sitting on top of the hill with the, with the rod of God in his hand. When he's feeling nice and strong and his arms are raised, the Israelites prevail. But in his old age, he can't hold it up too long. I don't know if any of you can hold up your hands for like hours at a time, but you know, it's hard work. And Moses is getting tired, and as he gets tired, his, his arms come down, and do you know what happens then? The Amalekites start to prevail. And they're like, no, we can't have this. So he raises his hands. And as he raises his hands, he's making a declaration that the victory is in the Lord's hands. And the Israelites win. He gets tired. And the... Thank you. The Amalekites start to win. But he has beside him Aaron and Hur, and they hold up his hands. And as he holds up his hands, the victory is won, and the Amalekites are utterly defeated. Now, there'll be times in our lives when we pray, and we will see an immediate response just like in this, in this example. But there is no formula to the timing of answered prayers. Because there are other times when we pray, we pray, we pray, and then we wait. We wait. We wait some more. And it just feels like our prayers are bouncing off the ceiling and coming back to us. But I put it to you that this is no ordinary waiting. This is no ordinary sitting there with a cup of tea, but it is a waiting that brings glory to God. I put it to you that this waiting is a waiting of a waiter. One where we are on our feet, waiting on the Father, studying him to see what he's going to say and to see what we should do next. As we wait on our Father, we will offer him the best 
of our wares. Now, what is it that I say we should offer our Father as we are waiting for him to answer our prayers? First, I put it to you that we should praise him. We should praise God in the time of the waiting because of who he is. We should praise him because he is the creator of the universe. We should praise him because he loves us. We should praise him because he is the beginning and the end. We should praise him because he is faithful. We should praise him because everything he says is true. We should praise him during the waiting time. I also put it to you that we should give thanks. Give thanks for things that have already been done. Give thanks because you know that God has done something for you before. You know that that time before you pray for something, he did it. So you thank him for that. You thank him for the day that you get to see today. You thank him for the fact that you can even wait. You thank him for the life and the breath that you have to pray. You thank him for Jesus that reconciled you to him. You give him thanks in the waiting period. It may seem strange to be thanking and praising during that waiting period. You may say to me, How on earth am I supposed to do that? I say to you that you can do that because of your faith. The faith that you have that Jesus is who he says he is, that Jesus has saved you. The faith that you have that every single promise in the scripture is true, where it says that God will never leave you or forsake you, where it says that he is a lifter up of your head, where it says that he is not son of man, that he will lie or that he will change his mind. It is the faith that you have in him which allows you to thank and to praise him. You may have noticed as well that I did not stand still while I was doing the serving of the praise and the thanks, which shows that some work is required during the waiting. So people, when you pray, Lord, help me with this exam, I really need to pass, you know you have to study. When you pray, Lord, help this broken relationship be restored, you know that you need to make the decision to forgive that person. Work is required during the waiting. And as you are doing the waiting and as you are doing the praying, do not forget that God has heard you, he is faithful, and he will answer you. Now, this doesn't just happen in those dedicated moments of time which you've managed to make in your day, but it happens during the constant communication that you are having with the Father, which he wants to have with you. I remember one time I was at work, sitting at my desk, and it just felt like the whole world was crumbling before me. And I cried out, Lord, help me. And in that moment, the presence of the Holy Spirit was so real, I felt like I could just reach out and touch him. And he gave me a solution to the problem, and all the anxiety just left me. And this peace can only come from God. It was nothing that was from me. The Holy Spirit will also bring you comfort and direction as you call out to your Father in the name of his Son, Jesus, confident that he will hear and answer his child. Our Father loves us. We are his children, and he will answer. So people of the 1130 service, as we come to a close, I challenge you, in fact, I challenge all of us to pray that God's kingdom come and that his will be done in our lives in Catford, in London, in the world as it is in heaven. Let us not just pray these words, but let us live these words as we step out in obedience to our Father. Let us give our Father the praise for what he has done, for what he's doing right now, and what he will 
do day after day after day as he continues to establish his kingdom and his good and his perfect will is done here on the earth. Amen. Let us pray. Dear Lord, we just give you thanks. We thank you for loving us. We thank you that your love knows no limit, Lord, and that you reached out to us while we were yet sinners. We thank you for Jesus and that he has reconciled us with you. And so we can come boldly before the throne of grace, Lord, that you hear our prayers, that you desire what is good for us, Lord. And I pray, Lord, that as we are in different circumstances, Lord, and we may be in the waiting period, that we will exercise our faith, Lord, that we will walk in the assurance that you have heard us and that you will answer our prayers. Lord, I want to give you thanks for continuing to strengthen us as we seek your face, Lord, and that you reveal yourself to us in new ways as we search for you. In Jesus' name, amen.